Hi there, my name is Mary Kilolea. Welcome to the To Be Boulder podcast, providing career insights for the next generation of women in business and tech. To Be Boulder was created out of my love for technology and marketing, my desire to bring together like-minded women, and my hope to be a great role model and source of inspiration for my two girls and other young women like you. Encouraging you guys to show up and to be bolder and to know that anything you guys dream of, it's totally possible. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. Hi there. Today is such a special show. It's our 100th episode at To Be Bolder. I have had the fabulous fortune of interviewing amazing women, and today is no exception. We have Elena Percival. She is the co-founder of Women Who Code. Under Elena's leadership, the organization grew to serve 343 members in 147 countries. Elena has had published articles in Forbes, Huffington Post, and the Wall Street Journal. She is an accomplished tech speaker. Elena has spoken on a range of topics from development and retention models to intersectional diversity and equity-centered decision-making in data strategy for the United Nations to social justice and advocacy in STEM at Harvard University. Elena is also an angel investor, a venture partner at Valor Ventures, and a scout for Picus Capital. And in 2022, she taught women lead in technology at Georgia State University. Elena, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And just to um, uh, correct one thing, we have uh, 343,000 members uh, now. So we're we're serving quite a few Um I'm very proud of that. <laughs> That's amazing. Yes, that that is so amazing. And I appreciate you being here. Okay, so in doing my homework to have you on as a guest, I, I read up on you and I found some of your travel and your adventures very fascinating. Can you share with our listeners your background and tell us about your career journey and how you became the co-founder and the previous CEO of Women Who Code? Oh, yeah. Um, so I... Um, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm um, a mom. I have two young boys, um, but I'm originally from Atlanta. And um, I ended up out of university getting a congressional scholarship that brought me to Germany for a young professional exchange. And so I ended up staying for four years total after getting a job uh, for with Puma there and starting off my career. And it was just this fantastic place to be um, starting my career and um, developing sort of a more international focus within my career. And I went back and did a, um, an MBA. Um, and that, again, had an international focus. So we it was a dual degree program through the Sorbonne uh, in Paris, and then an MBA uh, with Georgia State University and uh, did, you know, company visits in China. So it still was deepening that kind of global focus in, in my career path. Um, after that, I went to work for a really small women's performance footwear company, which was really more of a startup feel, even though it was before my, my tech journey. So when I had the opportunity to move out to San Francisco, it was one of those cities that was on my list. You know, <laughs> if you get a chance to go there, go. And so I did. And I'd had this fantastic career up until this point. And people were like, 
you worked for Puma, like the shoe company, you know, what about Google, Microsoft, Facebook, you know, Mm -hmm. like, where's your tech credibility? And I hit a couple of walls that I just hadn't experienced before in my career. And I started learning to code on the side. I started getting involved in the tech community and this kind of little community that was almost our, our secret group for a while um, just started to, you know, um, suck me in. I fell in love with spending time with smart women talking mm-hmm. about technology. And then the world started talking about, we need to teach girls to code. We need to teach women to code. And I was sitting in the tech industry among all of these brilliant individuals that day after day were having to prove themselves that they were actually technical. I remember one early story that uh, someone told me is, you know, she was a software engineer at a company and she was at the booth at a conference. And the the gentleman um, who was the recruiter's name was Brian. And someone walked up to her and said, are you Brian? Because it was easier to imagine that her name was Brian Mm. than that she was an engineer at the table. And so the level of bias, you know, just made me realize we need to be elevating the needs of individuals in the industry and um, helping to support their path, their retention, their leadership journey to be able to create even um, more equity um, alongside teaching girls to code and getting more women to um, get technical and join the industry. That's an amazing story. And there's so many women who have to thank you for opening up the doors and and seeing this void and and taking action and and starting Women Who Code. You've done amazing work. What what do you find most rewarding about your work? So um, the individual stories, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then the people that I often get to know the most are the people who volunteer. And a lot of people think that volunteerism is pure service, but we have practice-based and skill-based volunteering. So when you are a woman who code volunteer, it means you are, um, you know, maybe organizing events where you're getting project management skills as well as building your network as a leader, or you're delivering a talk which means you're elevating your thought leadership to uh, a community. And um, so since one of the biases women face in moving from individual contributor to leader is that, you know, that the hiring managers can't imagine your leadership skills until you demonstrate them, it gives you an opportunity to demonstrate and practice your leadership and then go back and say, hey, you know, I did this, I ran this project, you know, I gave talks at these different locations. And what you hear is, you know, our Mexico City director who let me know uh, in under a year that her salary had increased 200%. Mm -hmm. Um, Another leader who um, started off uh, as a volunteer uh, with us as an individual contributor and in under a year got promoted to lead and then to director. And so, you know, they're high potential individuals, but what someone equated it to is like, you know, getting a business degree from Stanford, that you are opening doors, you're building connections, you're practicing leadership, and it just ushers you forward. And it's part of, you know, practicing it yourself, part of 
creating an opportunity for you to see yourself as a leader, but Mm -hmm. then also giving the world an opportunity to see you as a leader. And it can happen fast. I remember one of my favorite stories was a volunteer um, who, you know, she was um, just attending events and the person who led the event was running late. And so she had said, you know, I've been coming for a while. I can just stand at the front of the room and introduce um, everyone to one another, kick things off, talk through what we're going through for the night. And she said at the end of just a couple of hours, she looked around the room and everyone in that room saw her as a leader. Mm. And she was able to then see herself that way as well. That is so impactful and so critical for the changing the trajectory of a woman's career. I, I love that shift from not it's more than volunteering um tell us about women who codes mission and how it has evolved over the years i know you got a new ceo recently so fill us all in yeah so women who codes mission is to empower diverse women to excel in technology careers so we've always been focused on those of you who are in the industry and building up your technical skills while weaving in leadership and networking. And what you often see is if you're uncomfortable to go into a networking situation, what you're actually doing is you're going to learn a technology skill. And then you just happen to meet someone who works at a company that might be interesting for you to work at. And they're interested in the same technology you're interested in. And you become friends. I remember one of um, uh, the events that we had one of our board members showed up. And so we often kick things off with a question of the day. And so my icebreaker was, you know, um, has woman who code impacted your career? And if not, what made you decide to join? And I remember going around that, like, you know, there were 20 or 30 people there that day. And it was, oh, you know, I decided to go to a hackathon with, you know, the person sitting next to me and we won, you know, second place. Or And then the next person was like, I work from home and I don't, I just feel alone. And I come here and I'm surrounded by amazing, brilliant people. And it makes me feel motivated. Or I got laid off. And within two weeks, someone here at Women Who Code referred me to their company and I got hired. Um, and so I just heard story after story. And I was like, Wow, this is exactly why I do this. This, you know, this is exactly what our mission's about. Um, so I've been leading um, the organization for a little over ten years, and um, you know, I think that when you when you um, are are when you love something so much, you you have to look for um, opportunities for it to grow, and so we have um, brought on just an incredibly talented new CEO within the organization. Her name is Julie Elberfeld. She is the former CIO of Capital One. Um, She was the first executive sponsor of Women Who Code. So her journey with us is also over 10 years. And I remember um, she started off as an individual contributor in technology uh, years ago and her telling the story of you know, how throughout her career, you know, she somehow sometimes gotten opportunities to advocate for others. And sometimes people advocated for her and how she just really learned from that. And one, some of the things that stood out to me was 
after she had um, her children, she said, I need to work from home. And this was before you work from home. And so they mm-hmm. said no. And so she said, okay, I'm going to quit. The industry almost lost her. And, you know, fortunately, um, the other person who knew how to do what she did quit shortly after that. And so they said, oh, turns out you can work from home. <laughs> and so it w- it created change. It forced a company to say, we can do things differently. But then because of that experience for her, when someone needed flexibility in their role, she said she, w- she would go to their manager and say, she could share that job with someone else on the team. It could be two people doing 20 hours. And if we can retain them, you know, for this two-year period or five-year period that they need more flexibility in their role, we can retain them in their industry for 30 to 40 years. And, you know, when you do that as a company, you're that people first in um, how you build your policies and your practices, um, you create, um, you know, team members that want to stay with you and and value you as an employer. So having those practices and finding no matter where you are in your career opportunities to advocate is just so, so critical. Does someone have to know how to code in order to be a member or like, cause I know oh. a lot of people are trying to pivot and seeing mm-hmm. opportunities within the, within the tech, but they have no idea how to begin or where to begin. So is that a criteria? Yeah. No, absolutely not. So um, about a third of our community are in either less technical roles or looking to transition into the tech industry. So while our core focus is people who are in the industry, um, we highly value accessibility. So we have, um, you know, thousands of um, videos online. We have close to 2000 free technical events every single year. And so it's a great platform for you to go in and try out, you know, five, six different programming languages, figure out which one is actually the right one for you to be um, learning, Um, you know, identify which of the resources that we have are where you want to go deeper, which which community or group you want to um, really hone in on that's going to help you the most in your career journey. And so I think really that accessibility gives you the opportunity to to talk to other people in um in other companies um and ask them you know why have you chosen this path why have you chosen this programming language but i've also had um you know someone who was the uh receptionist at a tech company say love coming to women who code events i'm learning to code my goal is not to become a software engineer but now i know what everyone's talking about and Mm -hmm. i personally learned to code and my goal also wasn't to become a software engineer, but I wanted to be a leader in the tech industry. I wanted to be a leader in business. Every industry, by the way, is a technology industry. And that means if you want to be a leader in any business, in any industry, you're running a technology company. And so it gave me the the language. It gave me the knowledge of what, what I could accomplish and what I could ask for. And, um, and just understand uh, how to move forward in a in a leadership position. And so, while um, certainly the majority of our our community are uh, technical, um, everyone is is welcome. That's really good to know. Um, how do how does your organization differentiate themselves from others? Because there is a growing, which is wonderful. There's a growing, um, I guess, 
selection of other organizations that women can become a part of. What is your differentiation, if you will? Yeah, so um, we are primarily focused on people who are in the industry. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, you've probably heard of girls who code, if you've heard of women who code, and hopefully one day all girls who code will become women who code. Um, and so we work very well with with other organizations, but we're, we're actually focused on adults, people in their mm-hmm. career, um, upskilling, staying engaged, a sense of belonging, um, you know, leveling up throughout their, uh, their career. And um, we also are language agnostic. So a lot of the other organizations out there might um, just be focused on, you know, Python or, or one particular topic. Um, but we're the largest and most active community out there. So, you know, among the 2000 talks that are being delivered, there's still probably more talks in Python than, you know, maybe um, a group even just focused on Python. And, um, and you know, we, we have that year-round nature, but then we're also global. So we serve members in 147 countries. And um, it's amazing when, you know, you go to a Women Who Code event in Taipei or a Women Who Code event in um, San Francisco or Berlin, and you still see that, um, that like, Women Who Code DNA throughout mm-hmm. the organization and throughout the event. Um. For someone who hasn't been to one of the events before, I assume you have virtual and in person. What could someone expect? And this may be just too random of a question because I'm sure there's different topics, but like an energy or a vibe or, you know, the the community sense. Yeah. So, um, so first to your question um, about in-person or uh, remote we do both. Um, initially, we were almost all in person and maybe 5% remote. And um, then in 2020, we had to take, you know, our 1800 annual events and um, and make them all digital. And so now we're starting to um, go back in person um, as well. But an average Women Who Code event um, would be, you know, one that has a technical focus where, you might um, have a, a, a short um, intro talk, whether it's 15 or 20 minutes around a, a topic, and then you might um, all kind of break up and, and program in a particular type of language. Or it might um, more in the digital space be more of a workshop where you're all going through um, something in particular together. When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. Um, when you were starting off, you know, in the initial days of, of founding the company, what was the biggest challenge from people that you were trying to either get to embrace, sponsor, and support? 
um, the organization or or what was the the, the challenges that you deal, dealt with? And I'm assuming some of those barriers have come down. Yeah. Um, you know, some things felt easier and some things uh, felt felt harder. Um, we we hit in uh, a moment um, <clears throat> amplifying the need to support women in the industry, you know, right before the Me Too movement started mm-hmm. and right before all of these other um, things were taking place that were reminding people that actually um, building up more equity um, in leadership and technology is, is critical. And so um, I would say the one thing that the one problem that still persists is um, for nonprofit. And so our, our funding comes um, from either donations or corporate sponsors and only 4% of funding goes to women and girls of philanthropic funding. And I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. only 4% of that 4% goes to women. Um, I don't have uh, that data point, but um, people, um, you see a lot of funding going going to girls. And so getting people to understand that, you know, how critical it is, how powerful it is mm-hmm. to support women in the industry to stay in their careers <laughs> and thrive and that it actually takes effort and is is valuable and the fastest and easiest way to create greater equality in the tech industry and um and really getting companies or individuals to to support that monetarily so people when you say it are like that's great go and do that <laughs> um so you touched on inequity but i'm going to go inequity in pay and and it's very real. How can women become more comfortable and transparent with talking about salaries since we know knowledge is power? Yeah, um, there's a, a lot of data out there on the internet now um, so that you're, you are able um, to be in a strong position to know where, where you should be coming in at, um, you know, Google is rewarding companies that are, um, or job postings that are listing the salary ranges. So when I say Google, I mean like the search engine results. That's good to know. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, there, there is, there is incentive now, um, to be a little bit more transparent about that. Um, and, you know, you need to practice asking because it's not comfortable. Um, the, you know, we, women are penalized, um, for, for asking. Um, and so often we, we don't do it. I, I feel like it's always emphasized, like women don't ask, but the truth is like, we don't ask because when we, we say we want more, you get, you get penalized for it. So you need to practice, you need to get really comfortable doing it. And one of, um, the stories that, uh, I remember hearing is, you know, it was down to two candidates and they were both negotiating, um, you know, their salary and, and, you know, the recruiters that were, they were working with like, oh, you know, but, you know, the woman candidate, she has this and she has that. And the, um, the hiring manager was like, yeah, but the other candidate, the male candidate, he has that and that, you know, like, you know, if we're fighting for him, we can be fighting for her too. We can't mm-hmm. offer them different salaries. And I think that, um, you know, you, you have to find your place to, um, to be an advocate and you have to, you know, know your numbers and 
practice so you're you're comfortable doing it and figure out you know what's what's going to work for you so make sure you're asking but realize um i think as the the barbie movie says like you you smile and you move forward but uh realize it's it's not fair game that's not a direct quote but uh something similar to that yeah um so a few years back, companies were embracing diversity, equity, and inclusion, understanding the benefits from social pressures. But then I think there was like this economic decline, layoffs started happening. I've seen or noticed that DEI investments within organizations seem to be kind of first on the chopping block. What can we do as women to ensure companies know this is of value to us, kind of one of our non-negotiables? Mm-hmm. Um and speak up as a unified force. Yeah, I think, um, you know, if you're inside of a company, you know, mm-hmm. ask, um, ask for it, um, ask, ask what you're doing, um, you know, advocate for it internally, figure out, you know, what, what you can do within your power within elevating your voice um, to, to be able to, um, you know, let the company know it's important. And if you're interviewing, you're interviewing the company also. Ask, ask, you know, what are you, what are you doing? Um, and, you know, choose the companies that are aligned with with your values um, because you're going to be spending a lot of time, a lot of important uh, um, hours of your life um, dedicated to making that company better. So make sure it's a company that um, is doing something you want. Uh, to see happen in the world. That's awesome. Uh, what drives you? Oh, um, I am ambitious. So, mm-hmm. so ambition drives me. Um, but impact also the the mm. impact, the stories, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I um, can wake up every day and do the hard things because of what it means to the community and the individuals who get the most value out of the organization and the volunteers who give their time and, um, and benefit from it as well. So networking, um, can be somewhat of an uncomfortable thing for some women. Um, but we know it's so critical for career growth. How did you build yours early on? I mean, I'm sure your, your network is incredible (laughs) doing what you've done for the last 10 years and your education, but what were some of the early challenges and how did you, you know, establish that pattern? Yeah, so I, I would say do it differently now. Um, times have changed a little bit, and people are so accessible. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think it's uh, it's really important to um, one if you're very uncomfortable with it. Um, imagine it's making friends. It doesn't have to be a fake relationship that you're just trying to you know support your career on. You're actually wanting to talk to someone who's doing something that you'd like to be doing. And, you know, they're probably a really cool person because they've chosen a similar path to what you want to go on. And, and so, you know, reframing it in your mind um, a little bit helps. But then the specific tactics that I recommend um, for people who are starting their careers is um, think about your top 10 or top 20 companies. Go on LinkedIn and find someone who is like the level you want to go in on or one or two levels above. So you're not like, Oh, I'd like to be a software engineer for Apple. I'm going to email Tim cook, (laughs) but go and see if there's someone who has been a software engineer for a year, Apple, reach out to them. You know, someone who's been there for three years, reach out to them. Um, Someone who's working on a 
a specific product uh, within an organization that you'd want to work on, you know, reach out to them and then set a goal for yourself of, you know, reaching out to three to five people on, you know, LinkedIn or um, whatever other social media channels um, you might be finding people on and just saying, hey, you know, can we do, um, you know, uh, a Google Meet or a, 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 a Zoom meeting for 10 minutes. I'd just love to hear how you decided to work for this company and come into that meeting and not everyone will respond. But if you're reaching out to five, one of them probably will. If you're finding five of them do, well, you know, you might not have to do it the next week. If only one person responds, then you should find five more the next week at other companies that are interesting to you. And you do that for two to five months and you have an incredible network. Mm -hmm. So when you go into those meetings, have a couple of questions, honor their time, like come prepared, you know, like what made you decide to work there? You know, do you, you know, ask those questions and at the end say, you know, if I saw a job inside of your company, would you be willing to, um, you know, put my resume in for it or connect me with the hiring, look, look who the hiring manager is and point me in the right direction. Um, they'll probably say yes, because especially in technology and software engineering, there's often referral bonuses <laughs> if you are the person who ends yeah. up getting hired. And, and it gives you an opening to, to follow back up and, you know, cut through the stack that's just coming in through like you know, LinkedIn or Indeed and have, you know, that that point of connection inside of the company. You make it as easy, easy as possible for someone to help you. That's such good advice. Um, you've been resilient um, in your career. What advice around resilience do you have for women? Yeah, um, I think r- resilience is, um, is something that's um, critical. And I think for any anyone who's founder, co-founder of a company that needs to be one of your superpowers. Um, and I I mean, for me, my passion, uh, my passion was a, a big part of it. I would say there's been times when I'm better and worse at, you know, work-life balance and things <laughs> like that. Um, but um, really just truly loving and believing in what I do is, enables me to um, make it through uh, the hard moments. And, you know, being a co-founder and a CEO, I I thought you'd get to a point and it was like, oh, it's glamorous and it's easier. (laughs) That's not true. It's the whole company now relies Mm -hmm. on you. So there's a lot of pressure there, you know, Mm -hmm. them and their livelihoods. And, um, you know, I would, I would joke, if there's not someone to do it, it's me. So like, if there's not someone to sweep the floor at the end of the day, I'm sweeping the floor because the floor needs to get swept. <laughs> and, you know, but on the flip side, you also get these amazing moments where, um, you know, I got to ring the bell at the New York Stock Exchange and, uh, and you know, the the really exciting moments too. Um, so there's a lot of women, unrecognized women, but women driving world-changing work in technology who inspires you as i'm sure you've met many um many of them within your career yeah um definitely many but um i i i'm not sure i wouldn't have said this person before but i will definitely say julie elbert felt is someone who has really inspired me she embodies 
um, you know, really what we would want our our members to aspire to. You know, you you go on that technical path, that individual contributor path, move into leadership, you look around you and say things could be, you know, more equitable and you add, you take the power and influence you gain to create change inside of your organization that improves, you know, the culture and the environment for those who don't have the same level as power of power as you. And, um, and then of course, your next step in your career is to go back and just really find a way to give back to the community. So yeah, our, our new CEO, Julie Oberfeld. <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, do you have a particular approach to goal setting? with being so driven and ambition, ambitious? Um, I will say that the thing that stands out for me versus maybe other practices is when I do have a clear goal, I like to move on it. I don't, mm-hmm. I am ready to go and I'm ready to, um, like when, when I envision what the goal is and the pieces start to fall in place, um, I, I'm, I'm not wanting to hesitate. It's, it's go time. <laughs> um, is that in your personal life as well? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> um, I will say that I'm like many other people and, uh, sometimes put my, myself, you know, it's, it's easy to neglect yourself a little bit like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym three times. It doesn't <laughs> mean that I'm actually going to, um, be able to sustain it better than other people. But, um, I, um, you know, in 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 work when I when I have that um that clarity that goal it it just makes it easy for me to go and I can put a lot of energy into it. What would you tell your twenty year old self? Uh, you know, buy Bitcoin when it's twenty five cents. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I mean, I, I can certainly say get in like start coding right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also am. And happy with the human uh, that I am today, and so I'm um, happy with the, the the choices that I've I've made in uh, my life. I I'm um, an adventurer, and not in the the sense of I'm going on expeditions, you know, every weekend. <laughs> but I I like trying new things, and um, so I would say, um, you know, go for it. Continue to learn. You know, follow follow your passion um code and also invest in bitcoin you know as early as possible (laughs) that's so funny no one's ever answered that like that i love it (laughs) um how have you been able to balance your career and being a mom because that Um, challenges so many of us yeah uh it's it's not it's not easy i found um i found very quickly, I couldn't say yes to everything. So I had to stop saying yes to the things that, um, you know, that I could say yes to, or could say no to. Um, and then, you know, we really leaned in to, uh, uh, a strong culture of, you know, it's okay if, um, you know, the, your work hours and at, at four o'clock, you know, you, you figure it out, you, you flex your time. Um, but it, it's not easy. Um, and I will say, 
I was traveling a lot um, before I had kids and even the first year that I had my first son. And COVID was kind of kind of nice because I stopped traveling for a, a couple of years um, mm-hmm. and got to really spend some some quality time. Um, but the other thing is make sure your partner is pitching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I have an incredibly uh, supportive partner and um, that makes a world of difference. Every time I have someone who is about to be a new mom, I say, you know, if you're doing the feedings, make sure they're doing the diaper changes. You right. <laughs> you do input and they do input out, you know, it's a <laughs> <good> balance. <laughs> what does to be bolder mean to you? To be bolder to me is when something's hard or scary, you do it anyway. You you push forward, you push through that. Um, so often when people say, our fearless leader, like I'm not fearless at all. I just still go for it. Uh-huh. I, you know. I love it. You're being bolder. Um, okay. <laughs> I have enjoyed this, but before I let you go, I have a few fun rapid fire questions for everyone. Um, winter or summer? Spring. Okay. That wasn't an option. I love how you go there. <laughs> Comedy or drama? Drama. The beach or the mountains? I love to hike mountains. Okay. Uh, cats or dogs? Cats. I got two. <laughs> okay. Coffee or tea? Ice coffee all the way. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It has been amazing. You were the perfect 100th episode guest. Uh, You, I have to thank you for everyone that's listening. The impact of the work that you have done has literally opened doors for so many women. Thank you. Thank you. And if anyone's considering it, please join Women Who Code at womenwhocode.com. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the episode today. It was really fun chatting with my guest. If you liked our show, please like it and share it with your friends. If you want to learn what we're up to, please go check out our website at 2bbolder.com. That's the number two, little b, boulder.com.